0: Recovery Elevator, episode 385. The same way that drinking temporarily helped with anxiety, but it revealed that I was living with anxiety my whole life, and I just had never known how to process that. Uh like this.
1: Yeah, that should work.
0: Mix down. <laughs> yeah,
1: keep going. Yo yo. Mix down. Three, four, yo yo. Wiki wiki. Three. Mix down. Four, there we go. Seven, eight. Wiki Wiki Mixed Down. Pie's in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki Wiki Mixed Down. There we go. Three, four, Welcome eight. to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill and I'm excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we got Steve. He's 34 years old from Boston, Massachusetts. Took his last drink on February 18th, 2021. Yo, I am excited for these upcoming RE happenings. August 10th to the 14th, we've got our annual flagship retreat in Bozeman, Montana. We've still got men's cabin spots and camping spots. And then we've got our first alcohol-free photography course for the beginner, starting this September with Chris Oyen and Brian Crotty. Alcohol-free mindfulness course for the beginner, starting this September with Patrick Foley. And then our first ever in-person service project. This is Saturday, September 17th in Denver, Colorado. Huge Shout out to Lauren G. for putting this together. And this service project is for CAF ARE members only. A link to these events is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. And I want to give a shout out to all our CAF ARE chat hosts. Thank you for your service and thank you for what you do. Before we get any further, let's hear from an awesome sponsor. Let's hear from Exact Nature.
2: Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking, such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
1: Okay, let's get started. For those of you tuning in from the USA, happy 4th of July. This is our Independence Day. If you're in Canada, happy Independence Day four days late. There's was July 1st. If you're in Denmark, happy Independence Day 29 days late. And there's was June 5th. And who knows when Mexico's Independence Day is. Nope, it's not Drinko de Mayo, but September 16th, after Manuel Hidalgo declared independence from Spain. All right, quick sobriety tip for your 4th of July gathering always have a drink in your hand. Number one, people won't offer you a drink because you already have one. Number two, it's a built-in habit to have a drink in your hand at a party or a gathering. Even if it doesn't have alcohol, the brain still says, all right, we're good. We've got something in our hand. Okay, let's do this. Regardless if today is your country's Independence Day or a normal Monday, I want to talk to you about freedom. More specifically, freedom from alcohol, and what that can potentially mean for you. An elementary view on freedom is free will, or doing whatever you want, whenever you want. This type of freedom is great for a day or a week, but it's completely selfish and not the freedom I'm referring to. I feel we experience more freedom when we commit to something. If you Google search freedom quotes, which I did, you'll see that a lot of people's freedom involves discipline having obligations, holding commitments, jobs, volunteer positions for long periods of time. Freedom is the ability to show up and be deeply present for whatever life presents. None of what I just said is possible when alcohol is present. So here are some directions I want to take this episode today. Freedom is saying no, setting boundaries. Freedom is forgiving people. If you do the sobriety waltz for long enough, you'll uncover that resentments fuel so much of your drinking. You can be right or you can have peace. You'll let it go. You're gonna get good at letting things go because you recognize it's just not worth it. Freedom is sleep. Alcohol fucks up our sleep. That one's easy. Freedom is a routine, a healthy routine. Freedom is not being afraid you're going to be found out. I heard this incredible value bomb from a gal named Cindy in one of our Cafe RE chats. Freedom is not reacting, freedom is getting a driver's license back. Freedom is driving without the worry of getting a DUI or harming someone else. Freedom is being available in case of emergency. Freedom is adding value to other people's lives. Freedom is caring for a loved one or a pet. Quitting drinking gives us freedom in three ways. Number one, freedom from. Number two, freedom to. Number three, freedom to be. (laughs) All right. Number one, freedom from alcohol. That's what this podcast is all about. We're going after freedom from alcohol, the desire, the pull to feel enslaved, to take a drink, all that stuff. Number two, freedom to, that would be freedom to get my spouse back, freedom to get my finances back on track, freedom to visit Europe, whatever you want to do. And number three, freedom to be, freedom to be me. Now, we can wrap up this intro pretty quick because that's why we're doing it. It's the number three, freedom to be. More specifically, freedom to be me or freedom to be you. Now, if you're addicted to alcohol, there's no chance this is gonna happen. When you quit drinking, you have the freedom to be you. There's nothing greater than that. That's why we're here, not to be someone else because everyone else is already taken. I think that's an Oscar Wilde quote. Now, if you're saying, well, I don't know who I am, I don't know who I want to be, that's fine. A lot of people say that. You can begin that process. And as Eckhart Tolle says, sometimes when we feel lost, as in, well, that's not who I was, that's not who I am, we're actually closer to our authentic self than we ever have been. So give that process some time, some patience. That's the freedom we're going after with this journey into an alcohol-free life, is to becoming ourselves, to be me, the freedom to be me, and not caring what other people think. So before we hear from Steve, I want to mention that alcohol won't make this 4th of July any better, or whenever your Independence Day is, and wherever you're listening, whatever country you're in, it might make a couple hours more enjoyable, but cue shame, cue the hangover. Cue internal energy being wasted on when your last drink is going to be. Are people watching you? Are you going to be able to successfully shut it down when the night's done? Um, I know for myself, once I started, it it was a challenge to near impossible to stop. So as I mentioned in last week's episode, not drinking on July 4th is going to be the path of least resistance. Okay. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp.
2: Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, recovery takes a lot of work, and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life, I step into the zone of burnout. When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives, and that's inspiring. However, Remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all, but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com elevator. That's betterhelp.com slash elevator.
1: Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? Yeah, Steve, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to, to get to know you better, to learn more about your story and to share that with our audience. How are you, how are you feeling?
0: I'm feeling great. Happy Friday. Uh, I'm, I feel like I'm meeting a celebrity right now being here today, so I'm really excited to be able to uh, have this back and forth
1: today. Oh, thanks Steve. Two things. Interviews on a Friday are the best day to do interviews. It's uh, I always end the interview feeling great, feeling connected and it's a Friday too. And the second thing is Steve, that's a two-way street. I've been seeing you on our Cafe chats for a long time now. And I love what you have to say in our chats. And, uh, you know, after like your 39th value bomb, I, I, I reached out. I'm like, I gotta get this guy on the podcast. So (laughs) here we are. We are with Steve. He has a glowing personality. Um, I wish, I wish you guys could see Steve because you you know, one thing that's very infectious in life or contagious, that's the right word or infectious. However you want to say it's a smile. And Steve has, I can say this. I'm a man saying this to another man. Steve has a wonderful smile. And I'm saying that right now. Look at him smile. You can't see it right now, but look at that. You you just got this wonderful smile. When Steve smiles on our chats, um, it's it's hard not to at least have a little bit of movement in the corner of your own mouth. So thank you very much, Steve, for doing that. Always bringing a smile to my face. Let's get right into this. Steve. Are you ready?
0: I am ready. All right, Steve. When was your last drink? My last drink was uh, 421 days ago. So it was February 18th, 2021. 428, is that what you said? Or four, I think 421, but I may have been. My ma- math hasn't always been my strong suit. So I think it's around 420-ish. 420-ish over a year. How are, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I mean, it, the, last, the last year and a half, I kind of think of it as this is act two of my life. Um, act one was... Very roller coastery, uh, for better and for worse. In act two, I feel like uh, a life of sobriety has just got me a newfound peace that I'm still learning to navigate, but I love every second of it genuinely. Act one and act two, Steve, I love that.
1: Um, are you familiar with the movie Big with Tom Hanks when he goes to to that Voltar and, and uh, asks for a wish? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I went, to, I went to the mall uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I used to own an arcade business. I sold it and I'm still good friends with the guy who bought it. And I walked into the mall and he bought a Voltar machine, like the fortune teller machine. And I was like, oh, hell yes, I have to do this. I went into it, put in, put in the dollar and out spit. It's the same thing that you just said, the next chapter is beginning chapter two. And I love what you said. I love what you said about that because you're right, quitting alcohol, that's the one domino that can knock everything down. Steve, we're going to get more into that, your next chapter, what the future beholds for you, but give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for
0: fun? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my story begins before I was even born. Um, I like starting this off with, uh, my story begins really with my parents. So my parents were uh, born and raised in El Salvador. And in the early 80s, I'd uh, emigrated to the States to have a chance at a better life here. And presumably what their big American dream was, was to give their kids uh, a chance at an education. So I have older brother, older sister. Uh, they were born in El Salvador as well. And then about a decade after my parents came here, I happened. So that was a nice little surprise. And I was born here, uh, born and raised in Boston. So i I grew up first generation, so Hispanic American, trying to learn to really navigate what it is that I should be doing with my life. Like this is kind of a question that was always kind of looming over my shoulders since forever. In high school and in college, I kind of liked a lot of everything. Uh, but a big thing that was always over my head was just kind of this sense of purpose, like what what am I, uh, what am I doing with going to school? What do I want to do with my life? And in college i I ended up stumbling on neuroscience, which is what my field is now, and that's what i that I study. I'm an assistant professor of neuroscience, and I didn't love it at first, but I fell in like with it, and over time, uh, I fell in love with the idea of studying the brain for a living so in In college, I started having a somewhat of a sense of purpose of okay, so I'm a first generation scientist I am doing everything that I can to really make sure that my parents' sacrifices were never in vain. And I'm, I'm very, very tight with my parents in particular, actually. like I, I still call them twice a day and I'm super connected with them uh, since forever. So that was well and done. And I figured, you know, science was a worthwhile gamble that I wanted to take for my career. So I, I went to grad school um, to do my PhD in neuroscience. And uh, grad school was an interesting time because I definitely felt imposter syndrome and kind of still do 24 seven. I just learned to talk back to it, which I can get to afterwards. But in grad school, one of the things that really hit home for me was this sense of camaraderie or this sense of togetherness in science that can happen. Like when people work together, you can do amazing things. So I had a lab partner at the time, um, whose name was Shu Lu, And we started working together from the first day of grad school. And it was like capturing lightning in a bottle multiple times. Like we we just hit it off in the lab. Like we were on the same wavelength. We both believed in togetherness and openness and sharing everything, making being as transparent and as humanly open as possible. And I felt myself kind of discovering that if I had some newfound sense of purpose as a person, doing science and trying to just better the world through my work was definitely one of them. So we had five years together where we had just like this, unbelievably, like it was hard work, good luck, all of the above, this uh, unbelievably amazing time together, making discoveries in science, like really having this meteoric rise in our field. And it felt wonderful. It felt, it really did feel like I finally found something that I was good at and that I liked. Like I both, both happened there together. So throughout, throughout grad school, I would, I would go all with my friends and we would occasionally have drinks on the weekends and There was no real, I guess there was no real signs at the time that I was going to enter an abusive relationship with alcohol, other than I was going out with my friends on the weekends. And that to me just seemed, that seemed uh, quote unquote normal. So now in 2015, uh, on February 10th, I woke up to an email that Shu had passed away and that like... That shook me to my core because I've had grandparents pass away. I've, you know, you see the news and you see horrible things all the time. But that one was just like, it was so near and dear to my heart that it kind of like pushed me to an internal breaking point that I didn't really know how to handle. I didn't know how to grieve. I didn't know how to process the idea of mortality. Like the idea of dying sucks. And that like, that really hit hard. Steve, real quick. I'm, I'm
1: loving this intro. I just, I just want to clarify a couple of things. So this was at your, your grad school partner around your same age. He died in 2015.
0: Yes. So he okay. was, he was 37 at the time. Uh, and then I was 25.
1: Okay. Let's back it up just a little bit. We're going to get into this. How old are you right now, Steve? Yep. So I'm 34 right now. 34 neuroscientist. What do you like to do for fun?
0: Yeah. Uh, what do I like to do for fun? I like, let's see. I enjoy running and boxing and listening to music. Those are the three things that keep me grounded uh, and they keep me, uh, they keep me balanced.
1: I love it. Okay. I want to go back to this 2015, but there's something you said that I want to unpack a little bit more. My story starts way before me, which is true with everybody. I don't know if listeners know, but in the eighties, El Salvador had a nasty civil war. Um, and if you're down, I've traveled to El Salvador twice, there's still people with amputations, missing arms and limbs. It is still a big part of their culture. So absolutely your story started well before you, I I like how you said that. In fact, some of our healing, a lot of our healing on this journey is a, we're healing us, but B there's a thing called generational trauma that is left to us to, to heal. Okay. So we are in February of 2015, your grad school co-pilot, um, lightning in a bottle. I love how you said that passed away. Can I, can I ask how?
0: One of the things that I've learned in the past few years was that that was a question that I might never have an answer to. And one of the things that fueled uh, my anxiety, which I can get into, uh, as well as my dealing with this idea of mortality, uh, that was something that never really knowing how he passed away kind of chewed away at me little by little. It actually, it felt like um, tree roots that start breaking a sidewalk. Like I could feel... I was the sidewalk and I could feel myself breaking little by little, trying to just put the pieces together to Mm. a problem that I might never have the answer to. And I still don't have the answer to, but I've, I've come to accept that.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. So you said you didn't know how to grieve. These roots were ripping you apart. Right. And I imagine, you know, so anxiety probably spiked as well. Did alcohol come into play here as a solution?
0: Yeah, it, it came into play in two different ways. So one was when I was sitting with my own feelings, I was really good at brushing those feelings aside and not actually just confronting how hard it is to grieve or how hard it is to feel anything that isn't positive. Like I, I'm, I'm an optimistic person at heart, like through and through. So dealing with its polar opposite was really hard and I didn't really know how to do it. But what alcohol did was it kind of, it, it helped put, it like alcohol helped put noise cancellation headphones on my thoughts. And it just helped keep things in seemingly razor sharp focus. And it helped just turn the volume down on anxiety, turn the volume down on how did she pass away, turn the volume down on the idea that passing away is part of the fabric of life that we all have to go through. I didn't like tackling those kinds of thoughts by any means. So alcohol was a way of just turning that off temporarily and helping me feel uh, like I was at some sort of peace with myself, even though what would emerge afterwards was also its polar opposite. Steve, I'm,
1: I can't see the listeners right now, but I know a lot of them are doing this, nodding their heads up and down when you said alcohol turned the volume down. It did turn the voices down. It did. Yeah. Keep going. I love that.
0: Yeah. So even though I was always the kind of person to stay for an extra drink at the bar, to push myself harder, to run faster, to do what I could. To, I'm kind of a person of extremes when it comes to those things. When Shu passed away, that was a bit of a turning point because I knew that I always had lived with some aspect of anxiety, but that just turned the volume up on my anxiety more than, more than anything else. Uh, I always was a little bit anxious about being uh, a first generation Hispanic American scientist like that. Well, what's my purpose there? And like trying to really punch forward in my field, for example, uh, but then- in the days and months and years after Shu passed away, I really was not, I did, yeah, I didn't grieve. I didn't give time to myself to actually let my life grow around the grief. Like I didn't really let myself process that what what had happened. So there it went from drinking on weekends with friends to drinking whenever any semblance of anxiety would start kicking in. And then that turned into weekends to weekdays to uh, just pretty periodic. Basically, if I didn't have anything to do with work, uh, I, that was an opportunity to come up with any excuse to grab a drink with somebody or to grab a drink at home for that matter.
1: Now, now, Steve, once when did you realize, so the progression happens, it used to be on the weekends, but then the progression happens. Was there a moment when you said, wait a second, what well, used to be Saturday and Sunday, is now any day that ends in day when I have anxiety. Sometimes I have anxiety at 9 a.m. Did you ever have that moment where you said, all right, this might be going in a direction that I don't want to have to have a go?
0: Yeah. One of my non-negotiables was to not let my drinking affect my work in any way. Like I love what I do. I would never want to put that up for a gamble by any means. But when I would start the days already doing the mental calculus of, am I going out for a drink today at five o'clock? Am I going out with some friends today? It was, I mean, it was like the friggin' mental Olympics because I was just like already thinking like, okay, I had three drinks yesterday. I can start a drink today at five with some friends. I could probably be out until eight. uh, And then maybe when I get home, have a couple of more drinks. Like it all centered on when is the next chance to be able to have a drink with someone or with myself.
1: And Steve, you said mental calculus and that's exactly what it is. It is that taxing on the brain.
0: Yeah, and then that's that's you know I knew at that moment where I was like okay this this seems pretty problematic so let me try to moderate let me actually try to keep track of this and try to really pull back here and I tried moderating and after about from 2016 to 2018 I tried moderating and was sometimes really successful at going a few days or a week or a month without drinking and then I realized though that 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 mental calculus just got harder and harder because even if I was going a week without drinking, I was already like, okay, so next thinking next Monday is the day that I can kind of go back out. And, you know, we find ourselves on the hamster wheel there. And one of the things for me was that I realized after a couple of years that I am not the kind of person that can just have one or two drinks. Like I simply am not like one or two drinks was the gateway to six, seven, eight plus. Like it was, it was a fiction in my brain that I was entertaining that I could have one or two drinks and moderate. And that was at least one of the first realizations that I, if I can't moderate and I maybe am just not built to moderate and that's fine. I have to accept that. And then that means the alternative, which is to completely let go of drinking altogether.
1: Hmm, Steve, can you put a date or a time frame around when you reached that conclusion, maybe I'm not built to moderate, I'm finding it hard to stop once I start.
0: Uh, when was that? I can tell you exactly when it was. it was. It was January 13th, 2020. So I was, that happens to be my birthday. And I was out with my partner and with my parents and brother and sister uh, celebrating my birthday, just having dinner together. And I had drank before dinner and usually that helped calm my anxiety. I had drank a bit too much before dinner. And then at dinner, I had a couple of drinks and they put me overboard where I was just like, the lights were on and no one was home. Sure. And I was more used to like, if I was gonna be in that state, if it was around some friends, they at least had like once in a blue moon seen that when we'd gone out, but then that became a little more periodic. Around my parents and around my partner and my brother and sister, that was different for me. Like that was around the people that, I love that are my direct family members that I never ever want to give them any reason to worry about me at all. And yet here I was not present in that moment Uh, and everyone noticed. And I I felt this sense of shame and guilt and, oh man, like if I let this actually infiltrate my dynamics with my mom and dad, like at that, that was a big kick in the ass from reality. Like that was a, that was a big reminder to me that this Problem that you've been occasionally dealing with has not adequately been dealt with. And it's sneaking up in pretty ugly ways. And that on that date uh, was when I tried more seriously to both moderate and then ultimately accept that I got to let this go because it's the saying that we have in our meetings, right? Where it's like you either give up drinking and get to keep everything right or give everything up and keep on drinking. And I I, I chose to keep everything else like I, I needed to do that ASAP. Steve, say that last quote one more time, right? You either give up drinking and you get to keep everything or you give up everything and you get to keep on drinking. And I, I chose to, I wanted to keep everything and drinking was immediately the thing that needed to go out the window.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when you frame it like that, you know, you give up one thing to get everything and then you give up everything for one thing, which would be alcohol. It's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. So I, I love the tra- the progression of this, right? 2015, traumatic life event, um, trying to cope, trying to deal with that. January 13th of 2020, that's your birthday. You recognize, okay, there's some major acceptance there. This problem, it's still here, has not been adequately dealt with. Um, and listeners, I, I'm punching these dates in because the timeline does not look like Hey, I can't stop drinking and I quit. It's rarely a one date thing. So there's a little bit over a year from January 13th to February 18th, 2021, before your AF date, your last drink, your sobriety date, whatever you want to call it. Um, Walk us through that year, but, but also keep in mind, Steve, I want to, I want to leave time in the interview for, for how you quit drinking uh, and what life is like without alcohol. So, so walk us up to that February 18th date.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, one of the things that I came to the realization of was that, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. That didn't, that, that made drinking easier, ironically. And one of the things that I accepted was that Shu's death or the pandemic didn't give me uh, a drinking problem. It just, it revealed that this was something that I had been living with for a long time. The same way that drinking temporarily helped with anxiety, but it revealed that I was living with anxiety my whole life. And I just had never known how to process that so from from january 13th my birthday on i was like i needed to make this decision to to just stop all around but that was that was a that was the hardest thing i've ever done to be totally blunt it was without a doubt the hardest thing i've ever done um i didn't really have a language for navigating my own thoughts and feelings and how to communicate this and i began slowly talking to some to my friends and family about this too but i i was still trying to moderate and failing and trying to moderate Um, and I shouldn't say failing. I I kept hitting a day zero over and over again, where I would go. I remember going seven days without drinking. And it was, it was such a milestone. Like I remember just being really internally just emotional that I made it seven days without drinking. Uh, And then seven days was a couple of weeks and then I would start again. And I had to remind myself that when I would hit, a day zero. It wasn't day zero, right? I, I didn't undo all of the attempts I had at sobriety previously. It was just building up muscle to get ready for that big move of throwing drinking out the window. So that year, um, I started going to therapy more routinely. So I started going to therapy weekly, uh, in particular for anxiety um, and and substance use disorders. So I started going to therapy weekly. That helped contextualize and give concreteness to my thoughts so much because going to therapy weekly, it really taught me that I had a lot of feelings and I didn't really know how to, how to navigate those feelings. Like I didn't know how to give those feelings some kind of structure so that I could understand it and know where this feeling of anxiousness is coming from or know where this urge to drink is coming from. One of the most helpful things that happened for me in that year was that when I opened up about this little by little, I learned that I was on, I, I was a leaf on a tree bigger than I could imagine. Because when I learned about other family members who had anxiety running in their blood or who had some problems with alcohol running through their blood as well, I felt like this makes sense. This is what I mean about the story began before I was born. I think that this is the part where I realized that contextualizing my own mental health in general began far longer before i was born and that helped because it helped me understand why why i felt certain ways and it's like this makes sense that this is some that there's some aspects of it that i inherited for better or worse too so that was something that at least made me feel a little bit more in control but then in that year the, the biggest thing that happened to be honest was i had had a couple of rough days and i was looked really out of it i was mentally really out of it and a couple of my childhood best friends and my partner just sat me down and they really just asked like are, are you okay like we we noticed that things are really off and they had done their homework and actually had recommended some uh some rehabilitation programs they recommend cafe re was one of the places that they had recommended on the list of on the list of places no and, way
1: yeah cool that?
0: And, and for some reason It just made sense to me at that moment where I was like, this is now going into February 18th, where what made sense to me was like everything kind of flashed before me where I was like, man, if I keep this up, Shu died when he was 37. I'm not making it to 37. And then the amount that would be left behind, it was like unfathomable. But it just, it made sense because when I was talking to them and I'm so grateful for them and my partner for this this moment because I saw everything that I had worked so hard that I genuinely believe in with my work and my life. I saw the alternative universe where that all falls apart. Like I saw where I lose all of that. I Mm -hmm. saw what it meant to lose everything. And losing that was an idea that I had never really sat with seriously. And when I did, I was like, this has to stop. Like, this is, I can't, I don't, I love, I love my job and what I do. I love my connections with my family and my friends. And, you know, we say that the opposite of addiction is connection. And I, I, in that moment, I learned that, that it's connection that I've really been looking for this whole time. Drinking was one vehicle to get that just in a wildly unhealthy way. And after, after going to, the first RE meeting, which I actually went to the day after on February 19th, uh, that's when I was like, I feel slightly more at home in my own thoughts now. And then day one begins now. And then it, it began and I've never looked back since then.
1: Wow. That is, uh, I love it. And um, a lot of things to pull. I love how you said, I'm just a leaf in a bigger tree. You know, the fabric of our connectedness. Yes, absolutely. So what was it like on February 19th? You stepped into the unknown. You got to trust you. It's been a while since you've been there. You were there as a child, right? There was a time in our life where we didn't drink alcohol uh, to feel good for inner wholeness. So what was it like on February 19th, 20th? Walk us through that first week.
0: The first week I felt like if I was, if I was a leaf on a tree and I was trying to be that leaf that snapped its own twig to get away from a rotting tree of addiction, uh, friends and the RE community, that connection in general was the breeze that I needed. That was the little push that I needed for that twig to snap. It was scary, exciting, vulnerable. I felt unbelievably vulnerable all at once, but it just made sense because when I heard everyone talk, it wasn't like at my um, in my field, for example, in my career where we we talk science all the time, who did what, who's published where, blah, blah, blah. This was a place where I wasn't judged by how many papers I've published or TED Talks or getting tenure as a professor or any of this. None of that. It was more of how are you doing today and how can we help nourish the well-being that over time becomes a shareable well-being. Everybody in this community is from such wildly different backgrounds. And without saying anything, just by entering that room and connecting with each other without saying anything and letting that vulnerability really take center stage. I was just like, man, this is, I have never felt more human. Like I've never felt more like we're here because we want to help each other out and ourselves and being able to share stories of how we used to hide drinks from our loved ones or how we used to Uh, feel anxious before any kind of traumatic event in our lives, or especially afterwards, everybody was on a similar walk of life. And we all have similar enough headgear that our stories just resonated. And it really made, it made me feel connected at such a more human level. And it gave me this kind of newfound sense of purpose now where I was like, I really, this is how I nourish my own well being, And this is how I cultivate that in a way that can be hopefully shareable as well, and it just yeah, it, it clicked on that on February nineteenth after that first meeting. I was like, I'm not thinking about this in terms of day one or one week or one month. This is just a now a matter of no matter what that no matter what I'm keeping this up and that alcohol is is, is gone from my life. Ah, no matter
1: what, that's the second week in a in a row now. Phil last week talked about the no matter what club. Now Steve. I uh, I almost feel bad for normal drinkers because all of us as human beings, we seek altruistic connection, authentic, vulnerable conversation where we can be in a place where whatever we say, we say it with authenticity it's, it's, and it's not judged, right? It's received at face value. It is what it is. Um, and we're all seeking that. And I remember when I went to my first AA meeting or entered into this space and I hadn't quite hit the... The stride I wanted with my own sobriety at the time, but there was something deeper within me that just said, oh, like a huge breath was out. Like, ah, oh, there's no bullshit in this room. Like everybody can see through the bullshit and I don't want to carry the bullshit anymore. I can just let it go. You know, I, I even in, even in cafe, which is it, it's, you know, I, I, I started it, but I, I, I can still go in that community and I feel right at home and it's a great feeling. Um, And I still go to AA. It's the same thing. Like it just, I'm just me. Yeah. There's the bullshit. Yeah. Uh, And I, 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 um, yeah, I I think all human beings need an outlet and format for that. Steve, you mentioned something earlier. You said a non-negotiable for you was to not let alcohol affect your work. What is a non-negotiable for you now that alcohol isn't in your life?
0: One of the non-negotiables for me is, is that I try to, wake up in as many moments that i'm in as possible and to really be as present and savor that moment as much as possible so like a non-negotiable for me is to let life just happen like i want to be an active participant in life right i want to live it so that's something that I, i noticed this uh for instance yesterday was um out with some friends and um it was happy hour so people were having drinks and I it's not one of my triggers are more internal so I don't mind watching other people drink at all actually because I'm I'm very happy with my seltzer or my diet coke or whatever it is but one of the things that I still make it a point to be a non-negotiable is that whether drinks are present or not whether it's I'm hanging out with my family or friends I just want to live and be in that moment like I want to savor it if it's great and it's we're celebrating something amazing those are easy if it's tougher, whether it's sitting with anxiety or sitting with bad news or sitting with just the, you know, the pangs of life, I want to be present for those too, because they remind me that that's part of the human condition. And I, I want to be able to process and make sense of those feelings and events as well and understand them and emerge out of it, like kind of like coming out of a bit of a rainy day, like it can be cleansing. And I, I just, that's one thing for me that. Um, this, in addition to the no matter what of just never drinking, also that being present in as many moments as possible, because one, um, maybe to, to say this another way, I had this thought the other day that maybe it was a little grim, but I had this thought that when I'm on my deathbed, what will I be thinking about? So whatever I am thinking about, do more of that in life, so that's my non-negotiable: is that I want to be doing more of those things that I'll be thinking about then, because I know that whatever the meaning of life is, I hope to find it in that process.
1: Steve, some of the the most most listened to mystics of our time: Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, all these people. They talk about presence. You know, Eckhart Tolle is the most important thing we can have. And presence, you know, this moment is the only moment we have. And in, in some realms of science, time doesn't exist. In fact, of all realms of science, it's, it's quite a, an interesting topic, but I agree with you. I think presence and being here without the mental energies of, de- of departing is one of the greatest gifts we can receive. And for me, it was alcohol that gave me that gift. Would you be able to say the same? A hundred percent. Like that's the
0: thing that like or, alcohol or the
1: addiction me. gave me that gift, shall I say? in quitting alcohol.
0: Yes. Like initially alcohol helped me pause time so that I wasn't so focused on the past and thinking about what was once with my friend that I had lost or what I did throughout my career. And also to not just perseverate on the future, on like, I have these deadlines, I got to do a billion and one things tomorrow and after tomorrow, and just things that require me to be there. Like alcohol initially was a way of hitting pause on that, but with it came a crippling anxiety and the kinds of anxiety fueled bouts of drinking and especially through hangovers and things like that, where I would just try to drink all of that away, it became this unsustainable cycle. So I had to learn that to hit pause on life and grasp the present in a way that was healthier for me in a way that didn't require alcohol in particular. And now that you know, I'm a bit on the other side now, it's, I mean, it really does feel magical. Like it does, it does feel like a second chance at life.
1: Steve, I want to talk to you about neuroscience here. Yesterday, I think the timing of this is, is synced, is I saw a TEDx talk that said, what I learned after 83,000 brain scans. And it was somewhat playing in the background while I was doing something else. But I, if I recall correctly, what that takeaway is, is your brain is not static, which means with neuroplasticity, you can change your brain. So you know, there's a lot of brain changes when we drink, um, but all of that can be reversed. What's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I I think that the brain is one of the most dynamic, ever-changing, you know, lumps of meatloaf that we know. It's kind of amazing like that. We can see it, though, when when we head into the darker hell that addiction actually is, but we see it also when we emerge out of it and how a brain can bounce back, too. That's the thing that I think that both science and life have taught me, that in this case, like, if there's where you see scientists, for example, there are people, and then where you see... Uh, addiction like there's also hope there too and then i think that the the way the brain can be wired or rewired gives us that hope right because it means we can we can change it for the better and we could change it for the sake of going in the direction of well-being whatever direction that is and i know that for us part of that equation of optimizing and maximizing that well-being is sobriety like that that is just that is a part of the equation that is a constant right and it's something that I, that's one of the few constants that i Have found in my life, but it's one that I I really appreciate.
1: Yeah, Steve, I love it. There's one more thing I want to talk to you before we hit the rapid fire round. Uh, Wow, this time is flying by. Is talk to me about anxiety. You know, of course, when you were drinking, we all understand the hamster wheel of anxiety. Alcohol makes it go away. You remove the alcohol, it's way worse. How has your anxiety been without alcohol?
0: Uh, It has. It's it's un it's unreal in the best possible ways. Like the first time I had what felt like panic was in 2013 in graduate school. And I thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, I, I went to the hospital, wasn't a heart attack. It was, I was just panicky. I kind of ignored that to my own detriment. And just, I learned over time that drinking was a way of just temporarily hushing down my thoughts and suppressing that anxiety. Now, the, when I was drinking, the anxiety was just crippling. Like it was it was the kind of thing where I, I remember one morning where like I, I couldn't even open my hands. Like I was, I was literally crippled from anxiety and I needed to have like half a bottle of wine to just get back to a baseline to be able to open my hands again. Like that was scary. That was, that was a big reminder. Yeah, that was a big reminder that I, I wasn't dealing with, I was dealing with something serious here. Now in the last year and a half-ish of not drinking, I have felt like just so much more in tune with my own thoughts and emotions where I feel like whenever I have a bout of anxiety, my remedy is either sit with it, think through it, be mindful of the present and just like really almost try to out present it, like really try to be there and sit with it and like let that fleeting feeling pass. Uh, If it's particularly distracting or particularly like, uh, somewhat debilitating, where I feel like I gotta sit down, or I, you know, I gotta close the door, and I gotta be in my own thoughts. I put on the Lion King soundtrack, and the Lion King soundtrack just—I love. I grew up playing music. I love music. All things Hans Zimmer. That was the new way of quieting my brain down in a way that is just like it's an—it's an antidote. Like it, it really does work. And that—that's one of the things that I do now. That it really helps. I'm
1: googling this right now. I think Hans Zimmer was Braveheart uh as well hang on Hans Zimmer yeah Hans yeah Hans Zimmer did the Braveheart soundtrack and I blacked out to the Braveheart soundtrack after I owned the, when I owned the bar in Spain I'd come home and press play on an archaic mp3 player and I I was blacked out and I'd go to bed to the Braveheart soundtrack and I had audible hallucinations for about three to four weeks after I quit drinking I would hear the Braveheart soundtrack like it was on level five, like volume level five. But I also, it was such a beautiful thing to have an audible hallucination about. It was almost like guiding me at the same time. It was crazy. Um, ah, I love that, Steve. Okay, Steve, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 10 to 15 seconds. Are you ready? Yes, I think so. Steve, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking?
0: I think the one thing i've learned about myself is that i i have a lot of feelings that i'm just learning to understand now
1: steve what's a memorable moment a life without alcohol has given you
0: celebrating my 100 days of sobriety with my parents especially after that day on my birthday where i was really lights were out no one was home and celebrating my 100 days with my partner was just such an internal milestone and like i I'll never forget the the cake that i ate the the 100 sign that they made and everything like it was it was really beautiful. I connected with them on a deeper level that day.
1: You can't see this, guys, but in Zoom, I just did the hand clapping reaction to Steve. (laughs) Steve, what's your favorite alcohol free drink?
0: Ooh, I love Shirley Temple's. I'm a sucker for sweet for anything sweet, anything grenadine, anything Sprite. Uh, Yeah, Shirley Temple's, I think, are my they're my Achilles.
1: Steve, here's an easy one. What's the point of life?
0: You know, I used to think that the point of life was to find something more important than you are and to dedicate yourself to it, which is something that a philosopher once said. I think now the yeah, the the point of life is to really, you know, savor, savor the moments, right? The point of life is to live it. Don't let it just happen. Be be an active participant in the thing that is life.
1: Savor the moment, Steve. Let's take two seconds, do just that. Love it. Steve, what's your favorite 80s or 90s
0: band? Ooh. Favorite 80s or 90s? Um, I really like Metallica. I love it. Steve, what's your favorite resource? My favorite resource, uh, it's got to be Cafe R.E. And not even just saying that because we're interviewing right now, but I I love the people. I love the genuineness that goes into each meeting. And people are very... People are very kind and I love that about our meetings. It really brings out kindness when there's otherwise this darkness that is addiction looming over. Uh, But yeah, I think that that's my favorite resource.
1: Yeah, thanks for being part of it. And Steve, what has recovery made possible for you?
0: Uh, An inner peace like it really has. Like, I'd like to say that I've started running. I started boxing I lost like almost 40 pounds. It's kind of wild. And like I'm just in so much more of a physical healthier space but I'm in such a more peaceful headspace as well and that inner peace is something that alcohol robbed for like a decade of my life and I have it back and it this is the act 2 of my life that I was mentioning is it's my act 2 of my life starts in sobriety and with an inner peace that I never want to let go of
1: Steve if you had a pet lizard what would uh, what would you name it
0: <laughs> a pet lizard what would I name it? Um, I like Wilbur. Seems like a Wilbur kind of kind of animal.
1: For sure. Pineapple on pizza? Yes or no? Hell yes! <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Steve. Number ten. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners?
0: That um we should all lean on each other, right? We're all we're all on the same rocket ship that is Earth, right? We're all made out of the same star stuff from billions of years ago. And we all go through some shit and we all go through some exciting things too. But if we lean on each other, then uh, things just become a little bit more bearable. And uh, selfishly, it becomes a little bit more fun when you have people on that same boat of life with you.
1: Steve, give us your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line.
0: Ooh, you might need to ditch the booze if you wake up in night sweats because you're withdrawing. And the only way to get out of that is to have two shots of whiskey to get back to a baseline. I think that that, uh, that is a very real one. Maybe the quick second one is if you have to hide drinks. If you have to hide drinks from yourself and from other people, then there's there's something underneath the hood that's worth looking at.
1: Yeah, I love it. Well said. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for being part of Cafe RE. Thank you for being part of my journey. Thank you for your time today. I absolutely loved our our conversation.
0: Yeah, thank you too. This was awesome. I really, really appreciate it. So today's the 4th of July. Maybe your
1: goal is to be sober this holiday weekend, but that didn't go as planned. But today is the actual 4th and you've got a new opportunity Death is the only line we cross that we cannot come back from, and if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're not dead. You're not there yet, which means you've got another shot. Start again. Make the Declaration of Freedom even louder, just as William Wallace did before beating the English in 1297. Start over. Keep moving forward. Recovery Elevator, go big, because eventually we'll all go home.